Hello, Money Multipliers. Welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and we ask ourselves, do our dollars make sense? So in today's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the MEC. MEC is just an acronym for Modified Endowment Contract. Now, I talk a lot about MEC in my episodes, but I wanted to dedicate a full podcast episode for this because there's a lot of questions that come around MEC and what is it? Why do we need to avoid it? Should we be avoiding it? So we'll get into some of those deeper details as we get further into the episode. Now, something that I was just thinking about last night that I kind of want to talk to the community about, I'm actually very excited for this episode because I have a lot of thoughts right now. Um, Because every day, right, I sit here in my office, here soon I'll have a whole studio dedicated just to me filming, getting y'all content and the most up-to-date information. But, um, you know, I'm always sitting here in the office and I'm talking to folks and I get a lot of good questions and there's been a lot of questions coming up about, you know, well, hey, if I just go to an insurance company directly and I want to go and practice the infinite banking concept and I call up the carrier, let's say that I call up One America or Mass Mutual. Ooh, we won't even get into that in today's episode. Maybe I should do something soon about that. But, you know, let's just say I call up a carrier, a mutually owned company, because Hannah, when I go and I read Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, I understand that I should be working with a mutually owned company. And when I call them up and I ask them, hey, I want to practice the infinite banking concept. Can you help me in obtaining a policy to do so? Most of the time, the folks even at the home office don't understand the power of overfunded whole life insurance. So here's my PSA to the community. Y'all, we got to start calling this process or the vehicle about what it truly is, right? So when we're going out and we are talking about this concept, the vehicle that we're using is a whole life insurance policy. It's a whole life policy. And the only thing that we're doing over here is we're adding on the paid up addition rider to that policy. And what we're doing is we're overfunding that paid up addition rider. And that's what's able to give us the cash value in the early years of this policy. So that's what we really just got to start calling it. You know, yeah, you can call it your banking policy. You can give it nicknames and things like that. But we got to understand that the vehicle itself, it's a whole life insurance policy. And we're just simply overfunding the paid up additions. You know, I do have a lot of episodes on this. Uh, You can go back. I did just a few weeks ago, I posted one about the base and the paid up additions and what that means and how it affects the policy and the early years, the pros and cons of the different policy designs and things like that. So we got a lot of material out there if you really want to get deep dive into what we're saying when it comes to policy design and what's the best one is for you. But here's my advice, y'all. 
you know, even if you go directly to the company, let's say it's Northwestern Mutual or New York Life, whatever, and you just call the company directly and you're trying to obtain a policy, I mean, they're still going to link you up with a life insurance agent. You got to go through a life insurance agent to obtain one of these policies. And so you just got to make sure that the individual that you're working with, they understand what you're trying to do with the process of utilizing the cash values in the policy, right? So yes, the product is important. It's a whole life policy, but when we're incorporating or implementing us being our own banker, I just feel and I have a firm belief that you should be working with somebody who understands and practices this in their own life as well. You know, you got to be practicing what you're preaching. You know, you want to go to a dentist who has crooked, messed up teeth, right? Or or I like to go to the restaurants where the chef in the back, he's the fat guy, right? Or lady, I can't discriminate there. <laughs> That's how I know it's a good restaurant. So, so right? So, understand that it's about the process of utilizing the cash values and not so much the product. Yes, the product is important and how it's designed because we could have upfront most highest liquidity out of the policy, or maybe your strategy is that you really don't care about the early cash value years. You're more concerned in the later years, in the later growth of that policy. So, you know, go out there to Nelson Nash Institute as well. If you go to infinitebanking.org, you will see that there's an IBC practitioner's finder. You can go out there and see who's in your area. Myself and my dad were IBC authorized practitioners. And that's just another thing that I would recommend. If you are getting into this concept, work with somebody who has gone through the training of being an authorized IBC practitioner through the Nelson Nash Institute and who's doing this, right? I mean, that, that's all that you got to do. So anyways, that was my big PSA uh, for this episode. Let's get into it. So what is the MEC? Right. So the easiest way I like to describe or explain the mech. Now, here, real quick, let me preface this. What the mech is, it's an IRS tax law. And the government came out with this tax law back in June of 88. Now, here's kind of the reasons why they came about with this tax law. You know, they noticed that a lot of elite and wealthy people were dumping in a boatload of money inside of their life insurance contracts, their whole life policies. You know, before the MEC law was even around, you could just dump in and keep overfunding these whole life policies, and there was no tax implications by doing so. And so, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, if I am a wealthy individual, well, hey, I worked hard for my money. Inside of a whole life policy, I can put this after-tax money inside of it. So now that it's in an environment where it's growing tax-free, I still have access to the capital and the government is completely out of my hair. Oh my gosh, I want all of my money inside of these policies. And so Uncle Sam kind of caught on to what was going on and that's where they came out with this IRS tax law, the modified endowment 
endowment contract, the MEC. And this MEC, what it means is kind of picture it like an imaginary line inside of the policy. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to overstuff or overfund that policy and go over that imaginary line or threshold. Because if you do, then the government now is going to start looking at the policy as an investment rather than an insurance contract. And now they're going to start taxing you on it. And we don't want that. We want to keep all of the tax-free benefits that come from the policy. You know, another reason that the government kind of came out with this is because they want to make sure that life insurance is being bought for the principle of the death benefits. That's the reason that people are going out and buying a life insurance policy. And yes, you know, the death benefit is important. I just feel that it's the only insurance in our life that's actually guaranteed to actually happen, right? Everybody's got an expiration date and everybody's gonna graduate sometime, AKA pass away. And so the government, they wanna make sure that people are buying it for that purpose of the death benefit. But yes, there are a lot of cool features and benefits that come from a whole life insurance contract that is just not made available with any other vehicle on the planet. Actually, it kind of reminds me of a conversation I just had yesterday with a gentleman. Um, he actually, back in the day, I guess he used to sell life insurance. He was very big into buy term and invest the difference in that whole philosophy. And he just couldn't wrap his head around why people will buy this expensive whole life policy. And we kind of dug into the differences because right now he's got money that's hanging out in his money market account. And he says, well, hey, why would I do the policy and why would I not just have it be held here inside of this money market account? You know, and then we kind of went through the bullet points of, well, your money market account, is it tax-free growth? You know, that money market account, when you put the money in there and then let's say you take it out because you want to go buy an investment or pay a tax bill or buy a vacation, buy a car, whatever it is, when you take that money out of that money market account, are those dollars, are they still going to be growing and compounding even though you went in there and you took the money out? And the answer is no. So, all right, well, in the policy, I get that uninterrupted compounding that always the opportunity cost, that interest that's always earning inside of the policy once that money hits the policy. So it's always going to keep growing even though I'm able to take out these policy loans and use it out here in the real world. You know, that's a very big major difference and a point that a lot of people miss when they're talking about this concept or the whole life policies themselves. So, okay, it's tax-free growth. It's still going to grow grow, whether I access the cash or I just leave it to sit there and hang out. Um, it's a protected asset. You know, God forbid, if you ever get sued, no one can come after the dollar sitting inside the policy in your money market account, your bank account, your brokerage account. Yeah, you know, that's public knowledge. And if you ever come into a time where you have a judgment or a lien filed against you, they can come after the money in that money market account. So, okay, in the policy, it's also protected. 
Oh, and then on top of that, it's got a death benefit. I know we don't talk a whole lot about death benefit, and I probably need to do a better job of talking about it, but that is very, very important, and that's where the generational wealth and the legacy aspect of this concept comes into play. I mean, I even get some people who will holler at me and they say, well, Hannah, I have no spouse, I have no children, I got no family members. If I could, I would leave my death benefit to my dog or my kitty cat, right? And I get those types of people. I work with you individuals as well. And so there are even strategies that, hey, maybe in the future, instead of taking out policy loans, how about we start taking out withdrawals? Maybe you start surrendering some of that death benefit and you start taking out tax-free withdrawals from the policy at that point in time. That's always an option. So th there's so many cool things and quirks that come with these vehicles that I just don't think there's any other vehicle on the planet that allows you to do this. And if y'all know of something, please, please, please let me know. My family and I, we've been looking around for something better than a whole life policy with a mutually owned insurance company that's been around since the late 1800s, early 1900s. I wanna know what is out there because I am never gonna stop learning. I always have open ears and I wanna hear what the folks are doing out there because we're just a community, right? I mean, you guys are here clicking on my episode right now because you want to better yourself, better your financial life and really grow the family empire. And so we're on the same wealth train with you. We're just moving on down the tracks and hopefully you'll join the community and you'll be a family member with us over here too. So Anywho, I don't know how I got off on that little tangent, but the MEC limits, that is why the government came in and created that MEC law. You know, in high level, how you can kind of describe it in like layman's terms, you know, you can't get 16 ounces of water in a 12 ounce glass. Okay, so that's essentially what I'm saying. Now, is it the end of the world if you overstuff or overfund the policy and you do MEC that contract? No, it's not the end of the world because you're still able to practice the freedom of you being able to pull the cash values from the policy with no questions being asked, no term loan repayments that you have to make back. And it's just the freedom of, of being in total financial control of your banking function in your life. Banking has to happen. Banking is never gonna go away because if banking goes away, all other businesses fail. So I want you to take that and really connect with your implementation specialist. Okay, so if you're a part of our community, the Money Multiplier, and you have a policy with us, you have your designated money mentor and your implementation specialists who are there for the life of the policy. So two to three times a year. I mean, if I don't hear from you first and you're my one of my students, you're working with me, you're gonna be getting a call from myself or your mapping or implementation specialist just checking in on you because this is an ongoing evolutionary process that you're gonna keep using and building your wealth. And the policy is just the foundation 
foundation to everything else that you're doing in your monetary life. Because the whole idea, and actually check out my episode on the simplicity of IBC, I believe is what I titled it. But the whole idea is, is that your money that you're making, we have to keep the money that we're already making. You guys are great at making the money. You guys are so good at going out there, making the money, hustling and bustling and in that daily grind, but you suck at keeping it. And that's where this concept comes into play is how can I keep more of the money that I'm already making? So the whole idea is, is that get the money through the policy first, get the money through the policy first, and then go pay your debts, go buy your expense, your purchase, your investment. Now, when you set up the policy, you will always be able to fund that premium that you are telling the insurance company of what you want to do. You know, so like, let's make believe you you want to do 24000 a year, 2000 a month inside of that policy. So your policy will always be able to hold the 24000 or 2000 a month inside of that policy contract, it will always be able to fit in there and hold in there. So where the mech status really comes into play is if it's extra monies, you have some extra capital that's lying around. Maybe you sold something, you got a bonus at work, something happened, you had this windfall of cash, maybe an inheritance. And this money, it's doing nothing but just sitting down at the local bank where the bankers are the ones who are using your money and making profits off of your money. So you come to this conclusion where you're like, okay, well, I've been trucking along. I've been doing my 24,000 yearly premiums and I got this chunk of cash here. Uh, let's make believe it's 50,000. I sold a property. I got an extra 50,000 lying around and I understand the importance of getting getting it through the policy first. But, you know, maybe I'm not ready to start more policies right now. And in this 50,000, what you could do is you could have some wiggle room to max out more additional paid up edition riders. So what you can do, if you're a part of the money multiplier, contact your implementation specialist, we'll help you with this, but call your I-team specialist or call the insurance company directly and we just ask them the simple question. Hey, how much extra can I get inside of my policy and avoid mech status? How much extra paid up additions can I get inside of here and not cause any tax consequences? That's what we're asking. And so what the insurance company will do is they will go and run those mech seven pay premium tests. All right. And I know that's a whole bunch of insurance lingo, but, but that's the technical name for it of how they find this mech line, I should say. So the seven pay premium test, there's a whole bunch of moving variables that come into play with it. You know, they take into consideration mortality costs. They take in the expense of running the home office, you know, employee salaries, keeping the lights on, things like that. But then they also got to take into consideration that death benefit on that policy. 
And the seven pay premium test that is calculated, that will deem a life insurance contract taxable or tax-free. Here's the quirky thing about it though. The MEC limit is a moving target. Each and every year that you keep putting more premiums inside of your policy, the premiums that you deposit in will move that MEC limit higher. The dividends that you earn will move the MEC limit higher. And any extra paid up additions premiums will move that MEC limit higher. So this is an ongoing process that's always going to be going up and up and up every single year. So all we got to do is when you come into that extra windfall of the cash, we just got to go back to the insurance company and, and ask that question. Hey, how much extra paid up additions can I get into this policy and avoid my MEC status? And so sometimes based on policy design, it can be a lot. Actually, on one of my policies, it's designed a, a 60 base 40 paid up additions. And on that one, I actually had a $24,000 extra premium deposit, extra paid up additions that I could get inside of that policy. That was the largest one I've ever had. On one of my policies, they only allowed me to do like 3,000 and some changes extra paid up additions. So it's all just taking into how the policy is designed and where that MEC limit is at at that point in time. And just to be totally clear, the reason that we want to avoid the MEC status is that we want to keep the tax-free benefits of the policy. But like I mentioned earlier, if you MEC your contract, who cares? It's okay. You're still able to practice the freedom of you being your own banker now. And actually, Nelson Nash used to talk about that a lot in his live events. And if you don't already, go to YouTube and go look up the Nelson Nash Institute because they have video materials of Nelson and past live seminars talking and teaching. But you know, it's not the end of the world if you do MEC your policy. There's actually one company that we do business with and dad one time tried to purposely MEC his policy. And so he, he just did it because he wanted to know what would happen. And so what he did is he sent in his premium and another additional monies that he knew would totally overfund that thing. And about a few weeks later, he got a, a letter in the mail from the company and it said, hey, Brent, you know, you set up this policy to not become a modified endowment contract. So if you really want this policy to turn into a mech, please sign your name here and send us back this letter. But if you don't, here's a return check in the amount of money that we could not hold in your policy. So, I mean, even the insurance company is going to be there and notify you, hey, just FYI, your policy turned into a mech. Do you really want this? Or should we maybe pull back and refund you some of that extra premiums that you gave us? So even themselves, the insurance companies, they don't want the government in their hair either, you know, because the insurance companies, they are all governed at the state level. They don't want government intervention coming in because they are fine, happy, and dandy moving forward and trucking along in their private sector of what they're doing, right? I mean, that's really what we're doing. I mean, we want to decentralize our currency. 
Now, more than ever, I think folks are waking up to that. You know, I don't want to be in the financial binds of what the Fed is doing, what market performance is doing, or what government intervention wants us to do. You know, I want to be in that total freedom and control of where I'm leaving my hard-earned money to safely protect it, but then allow it to still grow where I'm keeping it somewhere. So to avoid the mech, the answer is very simple. All you got to do is just ask the company. Ask the company or ask your implementation specialist and just let them know what's going on. Hey, I got a bonus at work. I got an extra $5,000. Can I get this into my policy? So there's different strategies of how you can get this money in. Here's another like even tidbit. I actually had somebody reach out to me. Um, they started their policy. It was 1,000 monthly premiums. And they said, hey, um, I have an extra 8,000 that's lying around right now. Can I get that into my policy? And right now, they are very snuggled up to their mech limit. I think the carrier told us it was only like 93 extra dollars that they could put inside that policy. So $93, you got eight grand? No, that ain't gonna happen. But this is the solution I gave them. All right. John Smith, making up names. All right, so you're not ready to put, or, or you're not ready to start additional policies quite yet. But what you can do, because you're on a monthly premium mode, switch that mode to maybe quarterly or semi-annual. And that's another way of how you can get more premium dollars through the policy. So my point I'm trying to make is, is that if you start your policy, let's say on monthly, and then later down the road, you want to switch that frequency to either quarterly, semi-annual, or annually, you can always do that. You can always bounce back and forth between those different modes of premiums. And that's another way of how you can get additional dollars inside of the policy. And maybe you're just not ready to have more of a premium commitment quite yet. So this was kind of funny. I actually posted in our Facebook group. If you're not in our Facebook group, reach out to me. I'll send you the direct link. It's just Infinite Banking is one of them. We got about 6,000 members in there. And then the other one is the Money Multiplier. I would say the infinite banking one is a lot more um, active, a lot more folks in there always commenting and giving their input. But I made a post in that chat and I said, capitalize, capitalize, and do not be afraid to capitalize. About to start policy number seven at the start of the new year. And a lot of people chimed in and I just kind of want to read the comments and give you my thoughts on this. Somebody says, how come? How come am I starting policy number seven? Well, the reason I'm starting it is because on all of my six policies right now, all of my policy loans were paid back. I have all of my premiums paid up on an annual basis, and I have more money that's sitting inside of my checking account down at the local bank that I want to get inside of my whole life insurance contract. And I've already maxed out my paid up additions. I asked all the carriers, and there's no wiggle room on any of my policies. Actually, coming up here soon, my next premium is due in January for my oldest policy that I started at 18. 
seen. So I'm kind of eager to see what uh, that one's going to perform like because that policy is more heavily funded on the base rather than the paid up additions. So when that policy comes due, what I'll do is I'll pay my annual premium. And then after that, I'll write into the company and say, hey, how much extra paid up additions can I get inside of here? I'll report back to that. So we gotta wait till January. My premium's not due quite yet. I think it's like January 3rd is when I gotta pay it. But um, but that's what I'm gonna do. When my premium comes due for that following year, I pay my premium and then after that, I give it like a few weeks, I'll write into the company, I'll just send them an email and I'll ask them how much extra I can put in. So. To go back to the question of why I'm starting policy number seven is because I got more capital. I got more cash that's just hanging out inside of the checking account at the bank. I don't trust the banks, me personally. I don't enjoy their principles of fractional reserve lending of how they operate over there. So I just don't feel safe keeping my wealth down at the local bank. So I'm trying to get as much money inside of my policies for that aspect but then too, just to always earn that uninterrupted compounding on my money. So I, I replied back, you know, more money that's coming in, more cash flow I need to put towards my policies. They reply, what's the benefit of more policies? Well, the benefit of more policies is, is that we're able to get that money inside of there, have the capital be pushed through. It's going to keep earning the compounding and the dividends. Matter of fact, it's guaranteed growth that happens inside of the life insurance contract. All right. A lot of people, they they, they really don't appreciate the word guaranteed. I, I'm learning. <laughs> All right. Because I'm still young, right? I'm a young buck out here in this dog eat dog world. And so I, 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 it's kind of astonishing to me that people will take so many risks and chance with their money that, you know, in other aspects of their life, they may not do it. Right. So it's guaranteed growth. It's guaranteed growth that's going to happen in the policy. If I just keep it down at the local bank, sure, I get pennies on my money every year. It's I still get a 1099 on that pennies I earn on my money. But or if I put my money into the stock market, you know, I cannot control the influx of what's going on over there. So that's just simply why, you know, I want to get the dollars through the policy first. So what's the benefit of having more policies, more money that's working for me, right? Go back to my other episode where I titled it, oh gosh, I don't even remember what I titled it, but I used the analogy that I think I start, I called it starting a business from scratch, something like that. And I, I use the analogy that using the policies or starting policies is almost like starting a business from scratch. You know, in the first couple of years, we're not breaking even yet. You know, it takes a little bit to get that capitalization working and happening in the policy for us. But if you knew, if you knew that when you started a business, 
by year four, you were breaking even. And then every single year after that, you are making more and more profits than the year prior. I mean, how many of these businesses do you want in your lifetime? Hopefully the answer is a whole lot of them, right? And then with this business over here with the policies, you don't have the belly aching of employees not showing up, the overhead of maybe a commercial building and you gotta pay the rent or keep the lights on and pay the light bill. Okay, so so that's that's a very simple analogy of explaining why I want more policies because it's just starting a business from scratch. After year four, I'm making profits every single year. After that, more and more than the year before. I mean, I want as many of these in my lifetime that I can possibly get. So it's just making my money work even harder for me. Now, somebody else chimed in and they go, why not just one big fat one? Okay, why not just one big fat policy? Now, I talk about this just a little bit too, you know, how some people, they will, they'll try to like design the best policy that there possibly can be because they just have this idea that one policy is going to suit all of their banking needs. It's not because hopefully as time goes on, our income is rising, assets are rising, that we have a need to want to warehouse more of that wealth inside of the policies. So, you know, and in my comment back to him, I said, I couldn't afford it at 18 years old. You know, I'm up to the point now, this next policy, I'm going to open it with close to 5,000 monthly premiums. At 18 years old, being a waitress at Cracker Barrel, hell no, there was no way I could do 5,000 a month. That was like not even my entire salary back then. So, you know, I couldn't afford it at 18 years old. 400 a month was my first policy. And all I could afford at the time is I was saving up about $100 a week. So that's how my dad helped me find the conclusion of, all right, Hannah, now that you're 18, you're going to open your first policy. You've been saving $100 a week. So you're going to open that first one at $400 a month. And Back at that time, you know, I didn't know all the stuff that I know now about money and banking and our economy. And I said, okay, dad, I'll put my money in this stupid life insurance policy. Sure. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I'm, I'm very happy that it happened. I'm actually going to be rolling into uh, year seven with my oldest policy because I'm 24 now. Next year, I'll be 25 and, and then that'll be my year seven. So now they're saying, I think I did that math, right? Don't come for me if I didn't. <laughs> All right. Um, then they asked me, you know, how my policies were designed. And, um, and and I was talking a little bit about that. And, and really, my policies, 60 base, 40 paid up additions. I have a 50-50 split policy. And then I have one that's a 40 base, 60 paid up additions. And I think I have like some others that are like 35-65. But um you know, it was just based on what I was going through at that time. And some of my policies, I'm using them for my active investments. So, oh, somebody asked me, what do you do with them all? I love this question, especially after this week. 
Um, because as I mentioned in my last episode, you know, it was a very big week for me. And, uh, you know, I closed on my condo and we're paying cash for that. I closed on my condo. I bought my 2023 Ford Bronco. Um, I financed my conversion van. I actually bought another MacBook uh, just this past week. Let me show you. Hold on. Look at this sucker. She's pretty cute. And the only reason I'm actually a little irritated with myself because that was my first ever purchase with my policy when I was 19. I think I was 19. 18 or 19, but I went down to the Apple store because I needed a new computer for work. I was helping out mom and dad in the office and that's where I started. I was an application specialist, you know? I was talking with the underwriters all day long and I I I'm very happy I started there just because now I can understand how the underwriters and the insurance companies think. But um, but but I went down there and I bought my MacBook computer at the time and um, I just didn't know. I didn't know all the internal hard drive and the storage that I needed. And I've been struggling. I've been struggling on my MacBook here uh, recently. I've had this thing for about four years now and I love it. I, I have a little touch screen on there. Um, it's just my internal storage. And mom's saying, well, Hannah, you could just go get an next external storage file. Yes, mom, I've already done that. And I've maxed that thing out too. Okay. So thank you. <laughs> but, but, um, now that I know, Hey, this is what you need for a computer. Um, I, that's why I went and got that sucker because I just need more of that internal storage hard drive. So what I'm actually doing with that I'm financing it off of my uh, Apple credit card, 0% interest, why not? And so I'm financing off the Apple credit card because I also get a 3% cash back. I could, I could totally take cash from my policies and just go pay for it in cash right now, but why do that? I'm getting my 3% cash back and it's 0% financing do it, right? I know myself and I know I'm disciplined with it. So when the time comes that I do got to pay it off, because if I don't, then that's when the interest will start incurring to me. That's when I'll go in and I'll pay it off in full. So, you know, my MacBook computers and then, you know, my investments world, I do some private lending with them. Oh, hey, let me tell y'all coming up here soon. I'm going to be sitting down with Pops. We're going to be doing an episode on how he does his private lending through his policies. Because um, dad, oh my gosh, he's just on a freaking whole other level than what I'm at right now. And so I really want the community to understand how Pops is doing his private lending, maybe how to find the deals, if it's a good deal or not. And also keep tuning in to like Chris Noggle's podcast and YouTube, you know, so Chris Noggle, he is my investment person. All right. I, before I do any of my deals, I go to Noggle and I say, Hey Noggle, what do you think about this deal? Is this something that you would do? And then he'd come back with that yes or no response. Um, oh, somebody asked me, I thought this was a great question. They go, if you don't mind me asking, are you the policy owner and insured for all seven? I was under the impression that there was maximum amount of whole life coverage that one person could take subject to their income and assets. And I, that was a great question. Um, you can actually tune in to one of my prior episodes where I talked about how the insurability is calculated to get really deep into the weeds. But um, 
No. So, so to answer the question, no, they're not all on me. I have four on me. This new one will be on me because I can prove it. My income's been rising. So no, I have four on me and three on people that I have a vested interest in. So you know, um, I, I have my best girlfriend. She works for me. She's my social media manager. We're a great duo team. I have one on my brother and then actually one on my niece because <laughs> she's working for me right now. So if you folks out there, if you ever hear from Tori Kessler, uh, Victoria is her name. We call her Tori. Um, she's my niece. Uh, that's uh, my father's granddaughter. So Tori, it, that was a vested interest because I, I need her in the business. If I don't have her and something happens to her, I will need to have those resources to go out and help me find a replacement to keep helping me in the business and keep sustaining the cash flow that's coming into us. So why it's important to understand the MEC limit is just because we want to do great with our money. We want to just be out of the government's hair and we just want to keep capitalizing where we can keep capitalizing at. So don't worry, if you've met your policy, it is totally fine. Maybe you can reverse it. And uh, if you're working with us over here, get get good and, and get knowing. I'm trying to I'm trying to say something. I can't think of the term right now, but but understand and get buddy buddy with your implementation specialists, okay? Because they are there to help and serve you. We the community are here to help as well. And um, just to finish it off with this last comment, I wanted to say something about how, you know, some people, you know, they ask me the question of, well, Hannah, what is like a good premium that I should start with? You know, I, I, let, let's make believe that I feel comfortable depositing in 20000 a year inside of my policy. Now, just a little side note here. These numbers, if they're too large to swallow, shave off a zero. You get to determine the premium amount that you want to deposit into your policy, okay? So I'm just using easy round numbers right now. So let's say that I am coming into this, and this is going to be my first ever policy. And, you know, Hannah, all right, I've been saving up about $1,600, $1,700 a month, which equates to about $20,000 a year. And that's comfortable for me. I know I can do $20,000 a year because even after I pay that $20,000 premium, I still got some leftover fun money that I could be using. But, you know, this is new. This is a new world. I just want to test it out and I want to see, hey, is this stuff really legit? Okay. So, you know, people come to me and they'll actually start their first policy kind of lowballing. I don't know the right word I should use here, but they kind of lowball that first premium because they just want to get their toes wet, which I encourage you to do as well. I want you to feel comfortable with this. But I mean, there's over 70% of my folks who come back before the first year is even up because they're ready to start more policies because they see how powerful this is and how efficiently that my team is working with them. So they'll come back and they'll start their second policy before that first year is even up just so that they can use their old labs and their old exams. So, you know, if I'm having the conversation with myself, okay, 
I can do 20,000 a year. That's comfortable for me, but I could probably bump it to about 40 or 50,000. I could, if I tried, I could probably put that 40 or 50 inside of my policy each year, but it makes me a little uncomfortable. Here's my advice to you. Premiums, they can always be reduced if need be. So if I'm having the conversation of, okay, 20,000, I most certainly can do. 50,000, maybe I could do it. It makes me a little uncomfortable, but I probably could. I'm going to set that policy at 50,000 a year. You know why? Because if I ever needed to, we can always pull back and reduce down premiums anywhere from 60 to 90% depending on how that policy is designed. So assuming it's designed like a 40-60 split policy, all right, if I do 50,000 a year, if I can pull back that premium by 60%, 20,000 a year would be that minimum to keep it alive and active. So what I'll do is I'll set that premium at 50,000 because then I'm not afraid to capitalize and I always, always, always wanna capitalize my banking system and if I need to, I can always pull back and reduce down those premiums. So if I had a preference, I would rather start larger policies and get them most matured as I possibly can because it's just the time value of money and it's the compounding clock that's happening. So, you know, on our premiums, we can't just go inside of an existing contract and quote unquote increase those premiums. So no, we can't go in there and increase them but we can always decrease them. So this is why, that is why folks start additional policies because they understand the power of the opportunity cost, leverage, asset protection, tax-free growth, so on and so forth. So I hope this episode was helpful. It gave you some insights on what the mech is. And if y'all really want to nerd out on it, um, in the IRS tax code, it's the section 7702. You can go look that stuff up and nerd out about it. But um, I think that's all my thoughts that I wanted to chat about on today's episode. Um, and I do got to get going here. It's the morning time as I'm recording this today. I got my cup of joe here. It's actually from one of my favorites. Uh, I love coffee mugs. I got I got that bad habit from my mother. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> She's got way too many coffee mugs. But, um, but actually, it's from Suwanee Music Park. If you ever find yourself down here in Florida... I love it. Oh my gosh. And maybe in my lifetime, how cool would it be to own like an RV park, but then there's like an amphitheater in there. So they do live concerts, shows, festivals. How cool would it be to own like an RV park like that? So go check out Suwanee. They're one of my favorite uh, places to go camp and hang out with friends at. So thank you for tuning into the episode. I'm here every single week. You can uh, subscribe to the channel, ping the notifications where I'm uploading every Tuesday. Um, follow us on Instagram. We got our weekly live webinars. So if you go to Chris Noggle, Noggle spelled N-A-U-G-L-E, 
If you go to Chris Noggle's YouTube page on Wednesdays, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 1 o'clock Eastern, and 4.30 p.m. Eastern, we do three live webinars every single week. So tune into the resources. All this stuff is free, y'all. Also, I got my Money Multiplier Millennial Mastermind that's coming up. I think we changed the name to like Wealth Boot Camp or something. I got to get with my team. They're probably going to be mad at me that I'm telling the community this so early, but it's going to be in January. Jonah and myself are going to be hosting it. We kind of moved it. I know in the past I said we were going to do it in uh, December, but we had to move it just because of some things that that came up. So January, we'll be doing that. I'm planning our live money multiplier mastermind for next year in May. Going to be holding it down here in Daytona Beach, Florida. So I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully I provided some value, some feedback. And uh, until next time, I'll catch everybody then. See you.